Welcome to the UX Podcast, where we learn how to turn a rockstar business into a UX machine. UX introduces a simple formula for personal and business growth based around one principle. We can't solve big, valuable problems alone. Starting with this principle, UX equips and empowers us to pour ourselves into people and systems, scale authentically, and create a life of exponential freedom and impact. And now, let's get started with the latest episode of the UX Podcast. What's up, Rockstars? This is Matt Johnson. We are back again with a very interesting and fun conversation with Jason Bay of Blissful Prospecting, and we're sharing his lessons from a first-time agency owner. Both Jason and I are uh, very much in the same place in business. So this is a really interesting conversation with a peer who's built a very similarly structured business. Uh, It's a very productized service business. And uh, a lot of it is supported by freelancers and outsourced staff and VAs and, and all sorts of kind of those types of very flexible team structures that I, I see coming along, especially in the agency world. And so this is a super interesting conversation with Jason where we talk about kind of zeroing in on your ideal client and, uh, and really determining kind of whether they want to participate in making the service better, which is a very interesting conversation. It also talks about breaking up the sales into two parts and how he moved from consulting into productized services, which is what I see that that's the same journey that I went on from marketing consulting into offering a productized podcast service. Jason did the equivalent in LinkedIn lead generation. And so he has a super interesting business. I love the model. I love the recurring revenue. There's a lot of things that I love about Jason's model for business. And uh, I think this is a great conversation for anyone out there. If you are uh, either A, building an agency, or B, you are in coaching and consulting and have thought about adding a done-for-you services component to your service. And what I mean by that is we've had several people on the UX podcast in the past who started off coaching clients and realized that telling people what to do only goes so far. And so they come up with a, an idea for delivering part of that service uh, done for you. Right, and so if you're if you're thinking about it, if you've already made the jump into that or whatever, uh, this conversation is going to be super valuable to you because both Jason and I run done for you agencies, and it was the very first thing that we started after consulting. And uh, I see this this model kind of coming up more and more. I see other hybrid models of done for you and done with you coming along. Um, you can go back and listen to the episodes of Glenn Twiddle and Jenny Williams, who are both business coaches who moved into done for you marketing service models. Uh, so to see kind of what else I'm talking about, because I see this coming up more and more. So with that being said, let's jump into the conversation with Jason Bay of Blissful Prospecting. I think you're going to love this episode. So let's get to it. All right, Jason, officially welcome to the UX podcast. Thanks for having me on, man. I'm excited for this. I know me too. So we're both in similar positions. So tell me a little bit about your journey from, you know, starting off in consulting and doing marketing for people, just you. And uh, how did you first kind of zero in on what you thought your productized service would even look like? Uh, I really built the sort of the foundation of the business based on my own experiences uh, struggling with prospecting. (laughs) Um, At the end of 2013, I had left a position as a marketing director for a company called College Works Painting, who I worked with all through college. And what I did for them was essentially start a marketing department from scratch. And they're about a 30 million ish dollar company. Goodness. And um, what I experienced during that time was learning about business to consumer marketing. So when I decided to be a consultant and help other companies with their marketing, there was this business to business component that I didn't really know a lot about. Hmm. And it is very different <laughs> marketing <laughs> for B2C versus B2B. Um, 
what I really liked about B2B and what I started learning about is that, you know, everyone says, hit your referrals, hit networking events. That's the advice everyone gets. Go to meetups and stuff. And none of that stuff really worked. And when the word of mouth and referrals really dried up, I was stuck with, well, what's this prospecting thing? And what is cold email? And how do I use LinkedIn to get clients? Mm-hmm. So I read a book called Predictable Revenue by Aaron Ross. I love that this book. sort of pioneered, you know, prospecting this sort of outbound account-based approach for Salesforce. Mm-hmm. And I was really excited after I read that, but I was left wondering, how do I apply this to small businesses? Because most of the people that I was working with were, you know, companies that were you know, doing under $10 million in revenue. They didn't have the budget for this. They didn't want to work with enterprise companies. They weren't wanting to work with Fortune 1000. So through freelancing, um, we sort of validated the idea for a sort of, I was looking for, I know that I wanted to do something that had recurring revenue Mm -hmm. uh, because you're getting clients is, you know, it's it's such hard work Uh, to not be able to work with them on a recurring basis and have to put all that work in the follow-up and the sales and all that other stuff. uh, it, It makes your business the exact opposite of predictable it makes revenue very hard to predict <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly filling your yeah. sales pipeline with new people yeah. and that got really exhausting so we knew that we wanted a recurring element um, and what i did is i said you know what i think that people need this let's get on linkedin let's sign up for a sales navigator account and i was using linked helper at the time i was like let's just pick some different ideal client profiles, some different niches that I think really need what we're doing. And let me just start having conversations. So I thought that uh, marketing agencies and the reason why we didn't brand ourselves as an agency is I thought that marketing agencies would be a great vertical for us. Right. A lot of B2C agencies don't really know how to do the B2B part of their own prospecting very well, ironically. Yeah. Um, So that was a niche and then professional services and a couple others. And essentially what, what I did was we sent out hundreds of messages through uh, LinkedIn every day. And then I would do anywhere between 15 and 25 discovery calls per week. So I had this thing really dialed in. And to be honest with you, about half of those were people that I would never be able to do business with after I found out that out, like talking to them, they either weren't interested in what we're doing mm-hmm. or they just weren't really a good fit for, for us to help. Yeah. What I did find though was two or three people each week I could talk to and actually have a sales conversation with and get to a second, you know, sort of call where I might do a demo and show them how we might be able to help them. Okay. So keep in mind during this time, I had no case studies, no portfolio for this. I just had a site, jasonbay.com with a lot of testimonials and case studies of other work that I had done outside of prospecting. (laughs) Yeah. Just basically, Hey, I'm a smart guy and I know marketing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And (laughs) the thing that I learned with college works painting actually 10 years ago as a college freshman was how to sell, right? How to go door to door, and sell paint jobs to people that were like three to $8,000 as a 19 year old kid with braces. Okay. Uh, so that part I didn't know how to do really well. And that's sort of what got us our first projects. Yeah. But what I learned at the very beginning that helped us with productizing the service offering is you have to, I think there's three components to productization on the services side. Okay. Um, it has to be valuable, repeatable, and it has to be profitable. And what I mean by valuable is that I learned a lot about, like there aren't really a lot of done for you prospecting companies that work with small businesses. Uh, then there are quite a few now um, that do it, but, but then the, people weren't really doing this. So I, honestly, I didn't know how to package the service, how to charge for it, or what kind of volume people would want. Hmm. Okay. So I learned these through the conversations by asking people about their goals, challenges, and sort of the obstacles and fears they had associated with that. 
So yeah. for example, I would ask people, you know, what are your sales goals? Um, how many appointments are you lining up per week right now? And what would you like that to be? And I sort of used all of that to work backwards and what I thought the conversions would be to um, come up with the, the packages. Okay. So that, that first, that valuable part, what I learned through that is like how to really talk about our service because if it's not valuable in the eyes of the prospect and you can't easily explain it without like all of these different options, that's the beauty of a productized service is it's very simple to understand. Yeah. Uh, people aren't going to see value in it. And if yeah. you don't attach what you're doing to revenue of some sort, whether that's you, know, you helping people get on podcasts or helping manage their podcasts, it's like all of that ends up helping them build their business yeah. no different than prospecting. So it has to be valuable. And then the biggest thing that, that I was challenged with was, you know, do we have something that's like month to month? Is it a recurring model? Is it six month engagements, 12 month engagements? What is that? Yeah. And really making it repeatable. So we, we needed something that, that we could do for them that was at a, a good enough price point and provided enough volume and results for them that they would want to do it ongoing because it helped them grow their business. Yeah. Um, so I think that repeatable part, and we can dig into that more if you want, is really important. But the, that, that last sort of part of that, making sure it's profitable, I think that's the big thing that we actually overlooked at the beginning was we, we didn't do a very good job, good job of calculating what the costs would be yeah. And then ultimately what the value was that we we're delivering, we were undercharging people. Yeah. So we went from a service yeah. that we were charging 800 bucks a month for to now we charge more like 3000 bucks a month um, for our services. And we just figured out over time that, you know, you don't want to get in these engagements where you're not making money and you're, you're in a six month engagement with someone. It's, it's brutal. It, um, it is brutal. Yeah. So, and it makes you resent the client for something that's not their fault. Yeah, exactly. It's like you, you hop on as a client and you don't know what's going on behind the scenes, right? Because we're not telling the client, you know, the first client I booked for the service, I didn't tell them they were the first person we'd ever done that for. Right. If they asked me, I'd be honest with them. Yeah. <laughs> and people have asked me and I was perfectly mm -hmm. honest, but that first client, I, you know, I didn't tell them, I didn't openly volunteer that information. So they have no idea. Yeah. All they know is that, hey, you seem to know what you're doing. You're good at selling this stuff. Yeah. You know, we expect a certain result. Yeah. Um, I got really lucky on that. So my, my journey was really similar, but the, the very first person that came to me, um, well, essentially let's put it this way. People, people came to me and said, Hey, I know you're not doing this for anybody else, but I see you're yeah. doing it for yourself. Will, will you do it for me? So it was really nice to be in that position where I was kind of on the high ground right off the bat. I wasn't coming at them trying to sell them something. They were coming to me just watching what I was doing because it was public uh, and going, Hey, can you do this for me? So it was really nice. Like with my initial batch of clients, even though I did undercharge them, um, experience was never the issue. Like they, they knew that we were like figuring it out, but I, but I already had it figured out for myself. Like, so the only question was like, how do I apply my system to them? And so that it, it did give me, give me some nice leeway, I guess, to yeah. kind of figure things out, uh, without having to like kind of fake it till you make it. But I mean, for any first time agency owner, like the, your path where you're selling something that you haven't sold to anybody else before, just get out there and do it. Like some people ask, be honest, but most of the time they're not going to ask. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing they probably got the same impression that I did about you, which is, yeah, this guy knows what he's doing. Like, let him do his thing. Yeah. And I had experience. I think the big thing and very similar to you is that in order to reach out to them, I had to prospect to get in touch with them. Yeah. So whatever yeah, I was the doing, proof is in like, the pudding. Yeah. They're like, can yeah. you do like what you did seem to get me on the phone? Can you do this for me? Yeah. Um, yeah. So you, you bring up a, a really interesting point there in that 
I think people have this fear of, you know, it's the imposter syndrome that you hear people talk yeah. about, right? It's if I do this, you know, the worst case scenario really is, is not that bad. Um, if you're not super strapped for cash, just give them a refund of their money. I mean, we've refunded, I'll be perfectly honest, we've re- given partial refunds to clients that we started working with them and we're like, you know what, this is kind of a combination of maybe we're not equipped to help your niche and then you kind of don't have the stuff that you need in order for an outbound campaign to work, but yeah. that's our fault for selling this to you and promising you a result. Yes. So let's give you a refund, you know, or, or a partial yeah, refund. And, and, and we did this at cost, for example. Yep. You can protect your reputation as long as you go in with good intentions and don't lie. You know, if someone yep. does ask you if you've done this before and you haven't, say no. <laughs> be honest. People will actually appreciate that and they might be more likely to give you a shot if you're honest. I, I, you know, it's funny you say that because I, I agree. And I wouldn't have known this 10 years ago. You know, like 10 years ago, I got into, like I started my own business and started selling real estate. And mm-hmm. I did everything possible to eliminate that ever coming up because I was afraid of that. I was afraid of them knowing that I wasn't that experienced. And there's, there were other, looking back now, there are other ways I should have handled it. But going into the marketing game now, if I wanted to start a new company from scratch, like all the relationships that I have with people, I would be able to explain it and go, hey, I have an idea. I don't know whether it's gonna work, but I think you should pay me to try uh, because I think this is the result I think I can get you and here's how I'll back it up and here's how I'll hedge your downside and make sure that if I can't perform, you don't lose anything, right? So like once you get, like you start to get around entrepreneurs a little bit and you start to speak the language. Um, my mentor does that all the time. He's constantly trying stuff with his, with his clients of his marketing agency. Um, and he'll just go and say, hey, I've got this idea. Why don't you give me, give me a grand and we'll try it out. We'll get 10 people together. And the next thing you know, he's got $10,000 to, uh, to, to, to get a certain set of people a result. If I would have known that I could have done that going in, I would have done that 10 years ago. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a total mindset issue. I don't think the customer necessarily minds. Yeah, that's really awesome that he does that. Because we, we still, like, we're looking at some different pricing packages for our stuff. Okay. And I still test things in sales calls. Do you, right? right? I'll do, like, a demo call. Because here's another thing that, I, that we have done that I notice most salespeople don't do is we try to break our sales calls up into two parts. We do okay. the first call, I do a 30-minute discovery. And then the second call, I do, like, a 45-minute to 60-minute demo. So even okay. though we don't have a SaaS product, I still do a demo and a screen share on Zoom and show them exactly how our service works by using a client as an example. Okay. So in that demo call, like I just did this a couple of days ago. We were testing out a new pricing model. And then when I started trying to sell it, I was like, this is too hard to explain. Like this person's not understanding that. And that's my yeah. fault because yeah. of how this is laid out. And we're not doing a very good job of making it easy to buy from us. Yes. You only took two of those calls and I was like, okay, well, we need to go back to what we were doing and then shift, have a blend of this sort of a la carte type thing we're looking at in a recurring option. We need to kind of blend those two together. So I think you're always learning and you always got to be testing stuff and sales and prospecting is the best way to test and validate new service options and new products and that sort of stuff. Yeah. You know, when I, when I think about, cause I, I went through a lot of this um, before we arrived at what our I like our set packages. And I think one of the things that set me free from trying to do too much a la carte stuff, and that's not to say like the, the, this could be completely different for another business, but I know just for me, for the, for the type of simple business that I wanted to run, run where I don't have a ton of employees and I, I have like max out my, 
revenue for the amount of headache of the business. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Right. So for me, like I want a very specific kind of business. So the way the, what set me free from trying to do too much a la carte stuff or having multiple options was getting super clear about who I wanted in my life. So what's like my ideal client is the type of person that I would go have a drink with. Like I, I get along better with business coaches and consultants or, or guys like you that also run productized agencies. Like those are the people that I get along with the best. Those are the people that I get energy from when we talk about their business. And so once I figured out, okay, those are my people, then I'm like, okay, well now I designed the one package that works for that one type of person. And if they're not quite there yet, rather than creating an a la carte thing for them, I just basically tell them, great, well, we're not, you're not quite ready for my thing and that's okay. Um, so that, that was one of the things that really helped me was just getting clear about the ideal client. So for you, as you kind of zeroed in, what does your ideal client look like and how did that, what, like, what's it look like now compared to when you started? Yeah. I want to quickly comment on that. Cause what you said is so important there in that you have to say no to people. Yeah. And it's really hard when you're first starting because you need portfolio and all this other stuff. You, yeah. you don't want to get into an, an engagement that is not a win-win. Yeah. Uh, but that, that journey was interesting for us because like I said, I, I went in and the way we positioned ourselves was we didn't want to be blissful marketing because we didn't want marketing agencies to look at us as competition. So I thought right away because I had a marketing background that marketing agencies would, would be the best fit for us to help. And it was actually really tough to sell to them because they didn't really understand how we wanted to work with them. Because mm-hmm. I also saw partnership opportunities too, especially if they did B2B stuff. Um, oh, interesting. So, yeah, so it starts I, to get a little convoluted. It very convoluted yeah. and, and became very, again, very hard to explain the value. And anytime yeah. you struggle to explain value, uh, you need to do something differently. <laughs> people just are not going to, not going to, if you can't, you know, think that through very clearly, people are not going to understand it when you try to explain it. Um, so I thought that that would be a a fit. And then we also looked at, uh, you know, consultants and that sort of stuff. And I guess we were really open to who we were working with as long as they sold B2B. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Now we found like very specific types of things. Um, one niche that works really well for us that was completely unexpected was nonprofits, uh, specifically nonprofits that have a B2B component where they want to do corporate partnerships. One of our big clients right now is a nonprofit that spreads awareness around breast cancer. It's not the pink ribbon one. It's a different company. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, they partner up with like, we've connected them with like Victoria's Secret, like REI, like all these big companies because they have a really strong mission, uh, a founder with a great personality. They have great branding and collateral. And most importantly, like they have vetted out their offerings. They've been doing it long enough to know that when they get on a sales call, they can sell it really well. Gotcha. So one of the things we look for right now is, is a couple things. Um, one, do they have a very clear sales process? So mm-hmm. when I ask them, you know, hey, what's your cost per acquisition? What's your closing rate? What's your average deal size? If they can't answer those questions, mm-hmm. um, all we're going to do is tee up meetings for them that they don't close. Yes. And that's, that's not a win-win. Um, so that's a big one. And then we've sort of changed our offerings depending on we've learned that the ticket size of whatever they're selling is very important too. So if it's over $6,000 lifetime value, um, we have, we can be more hands-on with them and do more personalization in the outreach. If it's less than that, it needs to be kind of a more of a murder by numbers approach with creative email copy. If it's like a SaaS business that has a hundred dollar per month service, you know, the lifetime value is really low, but we can do something really high volume. Mm -hmm. Um, So professional services are a good one. Um, SaaS companies for us, uh, sort of the, 
element that we figured out is, you know, it's kind of the small business under 50 employees. Typically we do have a couple really big clients that have very specialized needs, but under 50 employees usually, and they usually have a sales or person or two. And yeah. the pain that they're feeling the most is we hear about this prospecting thing that we should be doing, but our salesperson has no time to do this. And we wouldn't even know where to start when it came to starting a cold email campaign. How do we find companies that are a good fit besides, you know, going to a list broker and just buying a big yeah. list. Yeah. Um, and then how do we engage that list and how do we, what do we even measure to get them on the phone? What are the important parts of this? Mm-hmm. And those are the people that we tend to do the best job for. Gotcha. Yeah. And that's, it's always interesting, like being in, um, you know, we're both kind of, you're, you're, you call it prospecting. We're both in kind of the, the agency space, marketing and prospecting. Yep. And yeah, the toughest thing, cause we're both in the game of, to a certain extent, filling the top or filling the middle of their funnel. I think a podcast mm-hmm. can do both. You're definitely aimed at filling, filling definitely the top of the funnel, getting new people that they don't know into their world. And it is so dependent on what their backend system is. Um, but the, it's, like, it's not like you can take a company from scratch that doesn't have any of that stuff in place and coach them on how to build it. And that would take a long time sometimes. Um, so you have to kind of screen that out on the front side. They either have to be at a certain point where you can help them or they're just not there yet and you have to be willing to turn those people away. And for a first-time agency owner, that is a hard, hard thing to do, to turn away people that are wanting to hand you money because you know they're not ready yet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got to do what you got to do. If you're strapped for cash, maybe you work out some sort of one-time project-based work with them that you can do on a consulting basis. Mm-hmm. You need the cash. But in my experience, all the time that you waste doing that is preventing you from actually getting in front of customers that would be a good fit. Yeah, agreed. But it's yeah. a balance. So, opportunity cost. <laughs> yeah. All right, so Jason, what's the, uh, what's the best way for people to learn about Blissful Prospecting and what you guys are up to? Uh, blissfulprospecting.com is the, is the best place to go. We have a couple things. So I would definitely check out our newsletter. And what I do in the newsletter is instead of it being like a company updates newsletter, it's, uh, I, I spend about five to 10 hours a week consuming content on marketing and prospecting. So essentially what I do is I take all of that and put it into an email if you can consume in five to 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. So if you want to know like what the best tools are, uh, for prospecting and growing your small business and you don't want to read articles and listen to podcasts, that would be a good thing to check out. Nice. The other thing that we do that has really taken off is I do these cold email breakdowns on LinkedIn. So if you just search Jason Bay or Blissful Prospecting, you'll find me on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely reach out and connect. But every Wednesday, I put up a piece of content where I break down a cold email that I get. So I'll blur out <laughs> the company and the name, and I'll just go through, and there's usually four or five things that I'll point out around, hey, no personalization, or this person's too aggressive, or they don't clearly demonstrate what the value would be, or this is clearly a mass email, et cetera. And I invite people to comment on what they would change about the email and what would make them respond. So that's been pretty interesting. That's, that's probably the best way to get a feel for our style of prospecting is yeah. to check out those cold email breakdowns, which uh, you can do on LinkedIn. That's fantastic. Brilliant, man. I love it. All right. Well, we could, uh, we'll have to bring you back actually for, a, for like an episode on systems because there's so much more we could talk about working with freelancers and stuff like that. But I want to honor your time and uh, there's, there's a bunch more that we could get into. So I really appreciate your time and kind of sharing your experience. Yeah, glad I could help, man. Thanks for having me on. Now, I believe that clarity releases energy. So I hope that this episode creates clarity for you by laying out a path forward in your business. Now, if you're interested in starting a podcast like this to help you break into a new industry or to establish yourself as an authority in a niche market, let's talk. 
We have a complete done for you podcasting service. That is my agency that I'm building and growing. And I'd love to talk to you about what we can potentially do for you. You can learn more at pursuingresults.com to get a sense of what our service is all about. And if you're ready, if you're really seriously thinking about starting a podcast, I'm happy to brainstorm your ideas and talk about the positioning of your podcast within the market, something that you can take away whether we end up working together or not. So you can grab a time on my calendar for a podcast brainstorm call at bookjohnson.com. That is bookjohnson.com. I just want to thank you again for listening to the show, for leaving us a rating and a review on iTunes and more importantly, for investing your time, your energy, your attention into the show. It really means the world to me that you would do that. So again, this is the UX podcast where we learn how to turn a rockstar business into a UX machine and we'll see you on the next episode.